You said your sister-in-law killed a man and a woman here and cut them up? You said they found hands and feet, but they never found any heads. We back. We back. We in here. We always back. Okay, first things first. Boom, roasted. Throne Thugs is up. Yes. On iTunes, Throne Thugs, Throne Thugs Podcast.com. Yeah. Um, it's iTunes, the website. It's also on Spotify. It's on Stitcher. It's on Castbox. It's pretty much on everything, I think, at this point. Just pick one of those. If you aren't listening to one of those, if you're listening to something weird, weird and different. And by weird, I mean something we just don't know. Just yeah. stop. Yeah. That's Stop enough. it. That's silly. But it's up, yeah. baby. And we have five episodes up. We're getting ready to put two more out. And we're getting to ready to put. Yeah. I guess we'll probably do it all tonight. So by the yeah. time you're this listening to this, there will be seven episodes. Yeah. So we're almost through the first season. Yeah. And there's um there's an Instagram and a Twitter. I have not really gotten all of that set up yet, but uh, you can go ahead and follow us and stuff. And yeah, but the most important thing's out. Yeah, and, and again, it's going to come out periodically, like just whenever, so, um, you know. Hit it. Hit that yeah, button, it's, baby. Yeah, it's probably best to subscribe. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can go and search it, but you might for, you might lose or miss out on some, so just keep that in mind. Or you just check it every day, whatever. Just check, 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 check it like. out. Um, <coughs> in other news, thanks for people for shouting us out yeah. on, like, the gram and on Twitter and shit, just, you know, um, saying that, suggesting us. For people to listen to suggesting like specific episodes for people to listen to it's very cool and we appreciate the shit out of it yeah definitely um specific uh <laughs> specific shout out um, <laughs> specific <laughs> shout out. <laughs> um i have i have uh, a few people on twitter that i interact with and in facebook um but also is always um the bumblebutt podcast because they're like our our dudes um, or I'm going to call them that. That's you thanks. Know. Butts. Butts. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Butts. Um, butsters. <laughs> thanks. Fucking butsters. <laughs> and also, um, we had, uh, we had a really nice review from the creep it real podcast. Um, so thanks to you guys. And I, uh, just listened to one of your episodes and it's very good. So, um, check them out and, um, I'm sure we'll be putting up more about them. So those are just the podcasts that we've had contact with. Sweet people. Yes. You we guys enjoy are the it. shit. Yeah. So thanks. So um, I think that's... Oh, oh, and also for the, um, uh, the, the Butsters um, tagged us in their... Uh, they had gotten their card. You got our tanks card. Tanks. And I, I know that some other people got some their tanks cards. So, uh, We're it hoping was that everyone gets our tanks cards. Um, the joke. Yeah, hopefully. Not just physically gets them. And if not, then... You're welcome for the super random card. Yeah, seriously, they're homemade, so have fun with that. But um, but yeah, so anyway, it was just fun to uh, get notif- notifications from people who were like, "Hey, I got my card," and like just see that they were excited about seeing the tanks. Very so. fun. It was fun as shit to make those. Yeah, we had a really really good time making them. So anyway, that's it. Alrighty. So you ready? I'm super ready. This is episode. Three zero. Oh shit! It's, this episode is almost as uh my birth or my age three zero yeah. folks we yeah. made it there yeah and that's plus two bonus but that's you know, we yeah. swipe we they didn't come out on a monday yeah so this is 30 mondays 30 mondays since we started we haven't missed one yeah no so, so even going on vacation we were animate about having them up so and i like uh i like the podcast that i listen to to 
frequently put their shit out because I like listening to it. Yeah. And it's a real big bummer when you get into one and it's like, oh, you get 12, 13 episodes in and it's just like, yeah, just kind of Gone. falls off. Yeah. But so that's why we're just like, we make it a priority. It's like, we got to get it done. Yeah. Just got to get done. Got to yep. get done. So big three zero. You Boom. ready? Right here. Ready. Ready. Let's see Ready it. Let's, I mean, let's hear it. Let's see. <laughs> Not seeing anything. Um, so this is the tale of the hi-fi murders. Hi-fi? Hi-fi. Right on. Okay. So the first person we're going to talk about, uh, because there are a few, not as many as in other stories. So um, this is Dale P- uh, Dale Peer, a.k.a. Peer Dale Shelby. So I'm going to call him Peer. Yeah, he changed his name several different times. Hold but on, hold on. Peer or Pierre? Pierre. Okay, Pierre. Pierre. Got it. It's hard to say Dale Pierre. 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 Uh, so he was born in 1952 on Tabo- Taboga Island, I think is how you say it. That's in the Caribbean. Okay. He grew up on Trinidad Island, so their islands like kind of next to each other in the Caribbean. And so he was born on one, but actually lived on the other. Not really a big deal, but anyway, so Got just it. so you know that. So he's from the Caribbean. Um, he was his family was baptized uh, in the. Um, uh, practice the Protestant religion. Do you know a lot about the Protestant? Uh, I know nothing. nothing. Okay, so it's not really that relevant, but um, it could make sense for some of the stuff later. Um, it's the second largest form of Christianity. It was or- it was originated from the ref- reform um, the Reformation of the Roman Catholic Church, which was basically a movement where people were like, we think there's some errors in the Catholic Church and what they teach. And so we're going to, you know, break off from them. You said it's the second biggest religion? It's the second largest form of Christianity. So it's it's a denomination of Christianity or a, a sect of Christianity. But the difference is, is that they're, they, they're basically Catholic, but they don't believe in all of the teachings of the Catholic Church because they thought there were errors. The, uh, like <clears throat> Namely, they believe that Jesus is the head of the church and that you don't have to speak to there's no, there should be no, um, there should be no, uh, barrier between you and God. So the Catholic church, you speak to the priest. Oh, like directly to him. You don't you don't have to go in like the stall. Well, no, I mean you, you go in Catholic, in Catholicism, you go and you confess your sin to the priest who then speaks on behalf of Yeah, but I'm saying in, in this religion. Yeah. You just speak to God. Oh, like we like him. we know. Yeah. Like yeah. It's no more, more no of what we, yeah, it's no middleman. So anyway, so this was kind of the religion in the area. Um the basic basic denominations of um Protestants are like Luther um Lutherans, Baptists, and Methodists. So, you know, the normal Christians that you are familiar with, because that's a lot in our area. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um so basically Pierre's family was Protestant, very deeply religious, but he wasn't at all. And but he kind of put on a show like he was because he was like, well, I need to make sure that my parents think that I am. You know how most people who are like, I don't really believe this, but I don't. Yeah, you just. I'm afraid your, to be ousted by my family. Yeah, you put your polo <laughs> shirt and your stupid khakis on. And, and you just go to church go every Sunday. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> he wasn't particularly religious, even though the family was. But he put on a face when he needed to, which was something he kind of did throughout life in general. Um, he was a troublemaker as a youth, but his parents, when when he was caught, they would try to instill right from wrong, and they were like, it's not like they were bad parents. Like they taught him morals, and they tried to like make sure that he stayed on the right path, but he just always deviated. It was like it was like in his nature to just be like, yeah, no, fuck that. 
Like, I just don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a compulsive liar and he had somewhat of a controllable temper. He knew how to give in if he, if necessary, like if he felt it benefited him in an argument, he would be like, oh, I concede. But he didn't necessarily actually concede. He just saw the benefit to him to go ahead and let you quote unquote win the argument. So he's a, he's a yes man. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Very, he's a manipulator. Well, yeah, I mean, it's whatever, you know, it's yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, none of that, most of that is not known to his parents except when he gets caught and gets in trouble. At school, in um, in social situations, away from his family, he was completely out of hand. Basically, if he didn't get it, what it, what he wanted, it was best to stay out of his way. What like, age is this? D- school age, like from from the beginning of school till being a teenager, he was just a troublesome, annoying fucking kid. And when when did you say he was born again? Um, nineteen. 52. 52, okay. 52. So this is like 60s. Yeah, this is like 60s. Yeah, Yeah, so um, most students said that, and again, this is in the Caribbeans, so it's a little, you know, different than, I'm I'm not sure about the school and how it operates and like what, when or when they don't call parents or, you know, get involved or whatever. But anyway, a lot of people said he was a nuisance. Most of his classmates tried to avoid him, just in general. It was just best. We had some guys in our school like that where it was like, yeah, you just don't, no one talks to him. (laughs) <laughs> so like no reason it's just just don't talk to him um so in june of 1970 at the age of 18 pierre left the, uh, the trinidad island and moved to the united states he wrote he arrived in brooklyn on june 7th and that's where he lived from um, 1970 till may of 1973 when he joined the u.s air force and he was assigned to hill air force base which was in utah it's just outside of um ogden do you remember uh, that that's we have some friends from that area okay yeah um so we actually looked it up because um because we were talking about when we were talking about moving we it's a, one of the places we were like looking at because everyone kept talking about it so anyway so it's just outside of of ogden which is near um I bl- it's close to salt lake city sorry didn't quite look at all of that but anyway where at the Air Force Pier was a helicopter mechanic. So he got into the Air Force and then he worked on helicopters. Oh, okay. That's where he got the mm-hmm. training. I was like, when did he get training yeah, for that? No, no, at the Air Force. Got it. In early October 1973, so just uh, a handful months after he joined um, the Air Force, he, Pierre went over to um, another Air Force uh, airman's house. He was a sergeant. His name was Edward Jefferson. He lived in Ogden. Uh, he had so he had an apartment like in the city as opposed to living on the air for out on the air base. Yeah. Um, he had obviously been there for a while. So anyway, Pierre went over to Ed's Edward's house to make a mixtape. 1973. Funky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Edward, like Pierre, was they were both um, yeah, like young black men who were in the Air Force who had like dreams of you making mixtapes. Yeah, making mixtapes. Um, Fixing helicopters. Yeah, you know, just like making something of themselves through the Air Force and, and you know, um, not really living the same lives as like the family that, that yeah. they live through. Uh, but unlike Pierre, Edward was a larger man. He was like a, a, just a bigger, taller guy that was kind of bulkier. Pierre stood about five foot five. He had a head that was a little too large for his body. 
It's like, you know, one of those guys. Sounds sexy. Yeah, he also was described as having thick limbs, and he was um, pretty big from, like, weightlifting, but he was, like, again, like, five foot five. So he was, like, a large-headed, like, thick-limbed, like, short guy. Built like a fire hydrant. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, they, they weren't really friends. They weren't particularly even like well known to each other edward only actually knew pierre is dale he didn't even know him as pierre dale dale um but they had similar taste in music and they worked out similarly similar at the same time do we know any of the tracks on this mixtape i don't i'm sorry you didn't find that in any of the reports about this story that. that was apparently no one felt that was a particular thing to know god that is such a shame i'm very sorry 73 that had to have been a really fucking good i'm sure it was tape. a really good mixtape all right yeah so anyway they had the same taste in music they were kind of acquaintances so pierre um was invited to Ed- edward's house to make the mixtape so he came over made it at some point during the evening um edward's like kind of just doing stuff around the apartment while Pierre is making this mixtape and he realizes that the key, his keys like his keychain is missing with his house key and his car key he's like well that's weird like it was here when i came in i always put it in the same place it's always here the only thing that's different is that i have another human in my house with me hmm mm-hmm. yeah another human that i don't really know so hey they man sp- did you really come over here just to make a mixtape <laughs> Yeah, so they spend um, the next hour or so looking for the keys, but they come up with nothing. It's just, they're just gone, even though hmm. clearly it's a small apartment. Check DJ Mixtape's fucking back pocket. Do they check there? Yeah, probably not. Um, Edward was pretty upset because, of course, both of his apartment keys. Yeah, the and two most key. important yeah. keys. It's not even like, oh, the house, oh, the car. It's like, oh, no, fuck. Yeah. Both the things, the two big things that I have keys to, yeah, like I don't the have things them anymore. that are like most important to me. I don't have. Um, but Pierre tells him, just, you know, calm down. I'm sure they'll turn up since you're already home. You don't need to go anywhere like you have everything you need. Just stay the night. I'll come back in the morning and help you search. I don't know what that would do. I'll come back in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me, I'm going to take your keys now without you knowing. I'll be back later to help you find them. Yeah. So the next morning, Pierre shows up as promised. Uh, they continue the search. You show up in his car? <laughs> no. <laughs> That'd be funny. Um, and magically, the keys are found. <gasps> what? Yeah. So Edward's like, well, that's suspicious. Yeah. Um, we looked so long last night without any luck. And this morning, without much difficulty, within like half an hour, we found them. Well, I had fresh eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's basically what Pierre summed it up to. Yep. So Edward starts investigating into the situation. So he contacts this, the locksmith nearby because, of course, they're like they're in a small area. The air base is close by. So it's like there's only a small amount of places that he could have copied that key yeah so he goes to the locksmith and he's like hey did anyone come in here and copy a key and he gives them the key and the guy's like yeah i actually recently copied those keys and he pulls out a receipt and it's signed curtis alexander not pierre not pierre not dell not not dale (laughs) so but i mean it's obviously weird so edward assumes that pierre stole the keys, copied them under the false name, returned to the house that morning, pretended to find them upon the resumed search, and for some reason felt 
like maybe he's probably he was like well he's probably gonna come back and rob me so edward's like no, i think he was just a, a really big fan of your keys yeah pretty aesthetically. much um yeah so edward's like all right um hey locksmith can you rekey my yeah. car in my house immediately because yeah that would help me a lot yeah so he gets that taken care of and then later that day edward and his friend um who i did not get a name of we'll call him joe Sounds good. Okay, so Edward and Joe are hanging out and he sees Pierre and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to confront him one while this guy is here. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and two, I like, I want to get this over with because this is weird. <laughs> like, I don't know you. And then this I would have waited happened. like on my roof to catch him red handed. That way there's no like confronting there's him, no, him yeah. backpedaling. I would have been like, you're right. Well, look at you go. Yeah. 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 Trying to get in my fucking car. Looky yeah. there. Look, I wonder who took my <laughs> keys. Um, so Edward said that, uh, <laughs> at some point during, so he starts, uh, you know, asking like Pierre, like what? the fuck <laughs> like what 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 yeah. what's going on here specifically and what the fuck? and at some point the friend joe quote unquote walks away what what are you doing joe yeah i don't know he just walks away i guess he wanted to give them privacy I, he didn't quite realize yeah, he's like, hey the i'm situation. glad you're here joe because um for this exact reason oh it's funny you mentioned that because i actually need to go now <laughs> yeah exactly thanks joe yeah and wherever he went he it was far enough away that he didn't overhear the conversation he's like he walked like 40 feet away yeah. just far enough just, and just sitting there kind of looking at him over his shoulder yeah so pierre or uh, edward is confronting pierre um he thinks his friend's gonna like overhear and be like witness to it and that dude walks away and doesn't hear what it so is said that guy clearly does not like <laughs> confrontation he's like I no. <laughs> gotta get the fuck out of here. He's like the gif of uh of Homer, of Homer like going into the bush. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because uh. as soon as you said that guy walked away, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Homer just silently leaving, becoming the bush. Um, yeah. So they confront each, or Edward confronts him. They have words or whatever. Edward walks away, grabs his friend, they leave. So. Edward thinks that everything's okay. I've hold, told on, him. hold on, hold on. What, what was said? What? He just basically was like, I, I know you did it. And it he, makes and sense. What did Pierre have to say? Yeah, I don't about think, it? I, I don't have full details okay. of the Not conversation. At the moment. I got All it. I know is that Edward left feeling like he had said enough that the situation cool. didn't need to go further okay, or it. be reported. Sounds good. Two days later, October 5th, 1973. Authorities were sent to Edward's apartment because he hadn't shown up for work. Oh, no. When authorities entered the house, they found Edward dead on the couch. He had a coverlet, like a light cover, you know, like a, um, like a, sort of like a um, bedspread, but like a lighter one. You okay. Know? He had that covering his body with a pillow. So he had a pillow placed on his face with a coverlet over the body. So they walk in and all they see is a, a blanketed thing on the couch. So they pull off the blanket and then they see the body with a pillow on the face. So they take the pillow off the face and they find Edward laying there. He's wearing only like a thin set of thermal underwear, like white underwear. Uh-huh. And he's got his arms folded across like he's in a funeral position, you know, like the like peaceful. Like a vampire? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I say funeral. You say vampire. Say sure. Vam vampire sneeze. <laughs> yeah. Vampire sneeze. Um, so clearly the body had been repositioned at some point. 
after death. After, yeah. Yeah. And put on the couch that way. Uh, authorities were able after some, um, you know, research into the or investigation into the crime scene, they were able to pinpoint that death occurred at some point between 12 p.m. and 4 a.m. That, that night or that morning. Night into morning. Edward had been beaten to death with a bayonet. With a bayonet? Bayonet. Yeah. Isn't that for stabbing? Yes. But he got beat with it? Beat. I'm assuming that, there, that at some point they probably beat him with the handle of it as well. Damn. Yeah. But um, the the first blow was so severe that it killed him instantly. So he he was whatever. Wow. Yeah. However, they beat him in he that had first. Have, yeah. Like hit him with like the blunt end of the. Like, yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like hammer fisted him with it in his hand. Yeah. So that it was so severe that the first blow killed him. And there was so much power behind the final blow that the blade of the bayonet went through Edward's brain. The whole. So he's like he was attacked in the face. We're talking stabbing now. Yes. Stabbed. So he was stabbed so severely in the final blow that the whole blade went through the blade, the brain and came in. They said that there was marks on the back part of his skull from the knife. From, from it hitting From the it, blade. From yeah. It, yeah. From it going through the so entire br- brain into the back out. of its skull. No. It just hit the yeah. it But it was just skull. so deep and severe and such a violent and powerful... Damn. Um, That's crazy. I don't know what you... Yeah, stab. That it, it just was all the way in. Yeah. Basically. So, um, obviously not... I mean, he died on the first blow, so maybe it was not pain. It was painless. I Thank don't know, God. but like it's it's obviously looked very violent. Uh, when interviewed, acquaintances said that the only person that had been at the apartment recently that wasn't a known friend of um, Edwards, who obviously wouldn't have done this to him, was a guy that they only know as Dale. So not Joe. Joe's in the clear. Not Joe. No, Joe's Joe's a good friend. He was cleared. He he was like, yeah, I was with him. He had words with this guy, but he didn't know the guy's name. He just gave a description. He but he gave a vague description. He didn't know what the words were because dumbass walked away. And now Dale Pierre is the dude they're looking for. Well, they they don't even know. They only know a Dale. So they're looking for a Dale amongst people. That's yeah. it. A Dale with a very vague description. Okay. Yeah. So three days later, um, authorities were able to track down Pierre Dale, because our Dale, you know, the one we know, it's Pierre, um, because people were like, oh, we kind of know that description. Edward was, I mean, again, he was a sergeant in the Air Force, and Pierre's in the Air Force, and they're like, oh, that guy, Dale? Yeah, well, there's Pierre Dale, like, maybe him? Maybe So he was, it was kind of a little easier to point one, solely because... It wasn't like just a citizen that was killed. It was in an an air forceman, like who had a connection to the base. So like had Pierre not been in the Air Force or had Edward not been in the Air Force, it may have been harder to track. But they were both in it. Yeah. So it was a little easier. So they tracked him down, they interviewed Pierre. Um, they said that he had an error about him during the interview. They said that it was basically um, he couldn't believe that he was being quote unquote bothered with such questions. Like they were wasting his time. Like, he didn't really care. Like, I don't know this guy, so I don't really care. Like, why are you asking me questions? You're the only one there, bitch. Yeah. Authorities said that he had a great annoyance at the inconvenience and that he was, it, it was like he was more worried about the fact that they were wasting his time than the fact that they were talking about whoever did this being facing first degree murder charges. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
During the interview, Pierre never volunteered any information that wasn't, he basically answered what was asked and that was it. Um, he wasn't animated. He never smiled. They said that he just sat quietly with his mouth closed when he wasn't answering a question. And they said, above all, he never once broke contact, uh, eye contact. So they said during the entire interview, he just stared directly at them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of intense. Uh, pretty weird. I try to have eye contact with people when I talk to them, but even I divert because eventually it's like, am I staring at you too Here, much? Look right above their nose. It's an old sales trick. <laughs> it's an old sales trick. Look me. Match my eyeline, Jim. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Pierre admitted to knowing Edward and to being at the house earlier that week making the mixtape. But Taking, he you know, just making a mixtape, stealing his keys, yeah. just normal shit. <clears throat> but he denied the stealing the keys. He denied having them duplicated. He denied being there the night that Edward died. He, he denied so are we taking, killing him. Are we taking his little ass over to the key maker and being like, hey, is this the guy? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. So um, Pierre said that the night that Edward died, he had borrowed his roommates, or that day, he had borrowed his roommate's car, drove to Salt Lake City to look through the used car lots in the area, trying to find a car of his own. He said he did that pretty much all day, but didn't have any luck. He finally returned to the barracks that evening. Zero <laughs> dope rides. Yeah. Where he stayed um, the rest of the night. Pierre's story really couldn't be confirmed or corroborated because... No one was really around. I mean, how are you going to say, like, I drove around all day in a car? Yeah. Like, who's going to... Yeah. Yeah. Um, authorities said that, that he didn't give any hint or reason for concern, though, because of his demeanor. So it was, like, really weird because they're like, well, we think you know more, but you don't... You're not acting like it. Like, if he would have... Not that lie detector tests mean anything, but if he would have taken that, he would have passed it because he's so chill. Yeah. Yeah. Because he clearly has no feelings or empathy or anything he's got something going on upstairs yeah so a couple days later <clears throat> one of the detectives who had been assigned to edward's case don moore decided i'm gonna interview this guy again because he knows something pierre denied any involvement again he stuck to the same story as he told before but before leaving detective uh moore had he was like hey can you provide me a couple handwriting samples i want you to write the name curtis and alexander four times on four different pieces of paper he said i'm doing this to everyone i'm asking this of everyone who's being interviewed it's you know just asking for a simple su supply of handwriting because it'll help us mark you off the list because they're going to check that dude's fucking signature yeah. off of the receipt exactly right? yeah yeah pierce yeah. gave it willingly without any seeming concern said he signed all of them didn't argue didn't didn't even think yeah. about it they said when they matched they they did ask everyone to do that all of this all the people they talked to yeah. and when they matched it they said that it was very obvious that pierre's signature was the curtis alexander signature well there you go obvious match but that doesn't quite hold up in court. Yeah, not quite, but it helps. Again, it's it's like lie detector test. But it helps further the case. Exa it does. It does. You're right. So, <clears throat> at the most, there's a forgery of signature, a false identity. You could get Al Capone type situation going on if you need to, where you get him on you a lesser like, charge. Yeah, you just hold yeah. him until you can figure out, put the rest of the <clears throat> pieces together. Yeah, but they didn't really, you know they didn't really have enough really to still take him under with that. Yeah. So authorities, they were like, well, we need something stronger to actually arrest him. And if we do try to arrest him on a lesser charge, we don't really have a lot of, you have a small time period. So you need to make it count. Basically you need to basically be so close that you can charge him before he gets released. 
but they didn't have that. They had no witnesses that could place him with Pierre, uh, with Edward that night, only a couple nights before. Um, no one could place him being in the area. Pierre was uh, definitely a loner. He didn't really have any friends, but everyone said that he had the mentality and the, the um, physicality to commit murder. Like, they were like, well, he's strong, and he seems to be a little crazy. Everyone's a little afraid of him. Um, again, pretty much everyone around him said that we avoided him at all costs. And um, when we did, those who did talk to him were basically afraid to, they just spoke when, um, you know, answered when spoken to. So he's like intimidating. Yeah. Even though he's little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some guy said, this is a, a quote from one of the guys, um, one of the airmen. He said, Pierre was a crazy dude, man. It sounded like something he would do without flinching, talking about the murder. Uh, basically, if you want to like break the whole thing down, he's a crazy dude, man. Crazy dude, man. But there was still not enough to charge Pierre with Edward's murder because they didn't have anything. to Nothing f- concrete. Yeah. Uh, no evi- uh, physical evidence. He didn't jizz on anything. No. Or um, bleed. Or fortunately, it doesn't seem anything. like he was was. Yeah. Not up to giving DNA that, that easily. So. Don Moore, the detective, he's like, all right, I'm going to ask for a third meeting because he knows something. And I think he did it. We're gonna At this it. point, he was like, I think he did it. Going to get in there with some slick <coughs> cop moves. Yeah. Pull this shit out of him. So he asked the same questions. Same, uh, same answers were given. Same demeanor. Pierre was controlled and different. Just as before, he again denied everything. Every time the detective would say something, he, without any infliction to his voice or even change in his demeanor was like i already told you that here's it again finally the detective gets pissy because that's never a good sign when you lose your cool man you're trying to like play this game and you're like "Mm, just uh, mm, just tell me the truth Mm -hmm. just tell me what you did Mm -hmm. say you did it you're like oh Sounds like you're getting a little fussy there. Yeah, a little fussy. Yeah, I'm fussy. Yeah, when you get fussy, it makes him win. So you're fucking up right now, copper. Yeah, unfortunately, Don flipped his shit. He started yelling and basically personally attacking Pierre. He said he knew that Pierre had done all the things. He knew that Pierre had used the fake name and forged the signature. And he said after a pause, he said, you know, he was like, I knew you did this. I knew you did that. I knew that. And he paused for a second. He was like. Edward knew it too. He confronted you and you killed him for it, right? Like that's, and he started, you know, like just kept saying, that's why you killed him. That's why you, he knew, he, he put it together. He knew it was you and that's why you killed him. And that's when Don, the detective, starts touching Pierre, like shoving him lightly on the shoulder, like kind of pushing his arms. Bad cop. <clears throat> like really, yeah, not something you're really supposed to do as a cop, but it's clear why he's frustrated. So he's verbally and now physically attacking Pierre. You did it. You did it. You did it. Pierre, however, the whole time, never once changes in demeanor. Cool the only a, thing he does cucumber? is lean in. Oh, so, like, please. So Don is pushing him. And Come. most people would, you know, they would pull back so because they le- don't want to be touched. Yeah, but he's a psychopath and he's a so little he fire hydrant. In. So he's like, please keep pushing me yeah so he leans in and never breaking eye contact with don who is still yelling and pushing him he says i didn't commit any murder and don said that's when the atmosphere in the room changed everything turned cold and he realized that pierce scared the fucking shit out of everyone everyone who ever came in contact with him he was like i knew that moment that he did it 
and that there was no way I was going to prove it. I'm not getting a confession from it. Yeah, you yeah. better find something. Yeah. Because it's not coming from him. Yeah. So it's cold-blooded. Yeah, and he also knew that that is a moment where I could have died had he wanted to go to jail that day. So, again, how you always talk about, like, how do you make that choice? Pierre was like, oh, I could have done that. I just didn't feel like going to jail that day. Just didn't feel like pulling his arms off of his body at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So with nothing more from Pierre, obviously not getting a confession, um, Don wasn't going to pursue anything further in that route. They couldn't find any evidence. There was no witnesses. So unfortunately, no one was ever arrested or convicted of Edward's murder. And it's technically considered an unsolved. What? Yes. What? Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, even though I think that Pierre at some point basically alluded that like, yeah, I did that. I got shock face right now. Yeah. You can't see it. Shock face. He's got shock face. So put Edward aside for a minute. Well, you'll put Edward aside forever because he's gone now and it's an unsolved and it's still an unsolved quote unquote. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. So put Pierre aside for a minute. Pierre's out. Okay. There's another guy we're going to bring in. His name is William Andrews. He was born 1955. I also read 1953. From what I think, it was the 1955. I just, you know, bad articles, you know, reporting. 50s. Yeah. Mid-50s. Mid-50s. I also read that he was either born in Louisiana or Virginia. Those are two total different places, but it, I guess still the South-ish. This is uh, the, in the mid-50s in the United States. <laughs> in the southernish area what happened yeah uh doesn't really matter much he was just from that area he seemed to have a pretty normal basic childhood he was described as a well-behaved child he joined the air force in 1973 the same year that pierre did and he was also assigned to hill air uh base in ogden well outside of ogden utah he also got a job as a helicopter mechanic and that's where he and pierre met met so him and pierre become Close friends, despite their differences. Again, William seems to be a nice guy who's well-behaved and has friends and people like him. And Pierre is none of those. Yeah, but you're at work, bro. And you're, like, you're there all day, most days. So it's like yeah. you don't make friends mm-hmm. with the people you're working with. Your you, life sucks a fat-ass dick. Exactly. So William said that his, uh, well, his other friends said that they drifted away from William when Pierre and him got closer so they got to the point where they were kind of hanging out all the time and his other friends were like that guy sucks that guy's uh pretty fucking weird yeah you know, fix the shit out of a helicopter and i kind of like him it's pretty good got hell of a mixtape collection i i mean i don't know how he got it but it's good um the the people that worked with him said that william was clearly the follower and the peer was the leader he had the uncontrollable temper he was the one that was like determined william or william just kind of went along with it he's got a gold necklace full of uh keys on it (laughs) yeah the pair had one other close friend that they hung out with another airman airman another airman man (laughs) man 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 airman uh his name was keith leon roberts We'll call him Keith. Keith Leon Phipps. Yeah, so <laughs> Please Leon meet me Phelps. by the nacho car. <laughs> so we have Pierre, William, and Keith. They're all ar- around the same age. Um, Pierre's a little older. He's 21 at this point. Um, William and Keith are 19. Teens. Yeah, teens. Uh, in March 1974, all three of them filed for a separation from the Air Force, which was... A weird way of saying that. It sounds like you're divorcing Filed the Air Force. for a separation? Yeah, I guess it means that they were trying to leave the Air Force. Before their... Uh, Duty is up. What, uh, four years? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so at this point, it would have been a year. It would have just been a one year. And they're like, <gasps> barely even a year. Actually, uh, psych. <laughs> uh, never mind. We can we go? Can, can we, we go? just can we just go? Are yeah, we allowed again, to do that? It sounds like you're divorcing the Air Force. Filed for a separation. We just don't get along anymore. It's yeah. like I, you want me to run all the time. I don't fucking feel like I it. This just isn't working. Yeah. So a month later, on April twenty second, nineteen seventy four, they were still part of the air force at this point still together yeah they were all still hanging out uh the three men pierre william and keith again 21 and 19 respectively at this point um along with three unnamed men drove two vans into ogden utah utah they stopped outside the business that was located at 2323 washington boulevard which at the time was a home audio business called the hi-fi shop right on it was right around closing time when the vans arrived. Um, they parked in the parking lot and the men got out. There were two employees working that day at the shop. There was a guy named Stanley Walker. He was aged 20. He was young, like white, like all American. Did I stutter? Kid, went to college and stuff. Stanley? Yes. Right. St- Stanley. All right. Yeah. Um, and then there was a girl named, her name was Sherry, but she went by the name Michelle. It's her middle name. Um, Ansley. She was 18. She was a new employee to the shop. She had only been there a couple weeks. She was engaged to be married that coming August. Both were good employees, friendly, well-known in the community, close with friends and family, um, you know, just all around good kids. Yeah. Yeah. Pierre, William, and two of the unknown men entered the business within a minute or two of pulling up, while Keith, the just guy that was friends with them, and the other unknown uh, unnamed guy waited outside in the van so they had two vans so of course they had to have two guys waiting outside the getaway drivers yeah. yep and then um pierre william and this other guy that we don't know walk into the shop pierre and william have firearms clearly robbing the place and as they enter stanley and michelle are like you know it's a small it's 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 a population of about eight eighty thousand people in this yeah. town so they're not like really expecting to get robbed <laughs> it's a sm- yeah it's, yeah. A, little it's small a small town. town yeah it's a small town that's like a ski resort like area if someone gets robbed it's the news for the next six exactly. months it'd be like if somebody got robbed in harrisburg sure. yeah exactly um so so well maybe not we're a little bigger but whatever um so anyway stanley and michelle are quickly taken hostage by pierre and william who have the firearms they're, um, they take them, then the unknown man is told to uh, start packing up the cash register, the safe, and any merchandise that seems to be Get worth all anything. the fucking cash and mixtaping equipment that you can find <laughs> and well, you can fit into the van, I mean, bro. it's 1974, so, uh, you know, robbing, like, a, a stereo place would have a lot of money oh, for sh- in oh. the equipment. Yeah, hell I yeah. I mean, like, a VCR at that time would be, VCR is even out by then. Uh, by that, I don't know. I like, don't what know. is it, 73, 74. you said? 74. I don't, maybe, I don't but think you probably so. have to be a millionaire to have one. Well, I know that um, Red has one on that 70s show, but that is not like a oh, historically based show at all. Well, also, that's like late 70s. and. Uh, okay, well, either way, it's still expensive. Either way, all I know is that if, if they had a VCR, it's definitely popping out of the top. Absolutely. For sure. That's yeah. how our first shitty one was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but also stealing from an electronics just store in general would be so much fucking harder in the 70s or 80s you just have so three guys to get a fucking 20 inch tv now yeah. you like you could you yourself could dip with a 70 inch yeah i could go drag one out of best buy and I run out of the fucking store inch. for sure <laughs> yeah. i mean it's as big as me the box but like i could totally do it still yeah either way 
Anyway, so they the other guys told to start packing stuff up. Pierre and William take um, Stanley and Michelle into the basement of the business, and they bound them down there, kind of you know tie them up, tie them to. I think there was like posts that they tied them to, and they return upstairs to help the unnamed man finish. Well, start packing all the stuff. You know, yeah. obviously, like you just said, it's a it's a several man and trying to put operation. them all in boxes. Have we tried printer first? <laughs> Michael. <laughs> um, so, unfortunately, at kind of that same time that they're, you know, coming up from the basement and starting to load stuff into the vans, a 16-year-old named Brian, he went by the name Courtney, um, Nas- Nesbid comes into the store. He was a friend of Stanley. His name is Brian, but he goes by Courtney. I think his middle name was Courtney. Everything I read, his name was Courtney. He went by Courtney, but his name was Brian. Okay. So again, a lot of people just go and buy their middle names here. Fair enough. So Courtney comes into the shop. He's a friend of Stanley's. Stanley had let him park the car in the park. So they had this rule that you're not really supposed to park in the parking lot unless you're a customer, like most places. Unless that's your dog. Yeah, unless it's your dog. Um, Courtney needed to run a few errands. He was like, can I just park it here and go do the other errands and come back? So the store was getting ready to close. Again, he was friends with Stanley. So he was just popping his head in to say, like, hey, thanks, man. Like, I'm getting ready to leave for the night. Have a good evening. Yeah. You know, friendly kid, 16 years old, just saying things. Unfortunately, there's a robbery going on. And they've already taken two of these people hostage. And they're obviously not going to let this kid just pop his head in and be like, oh, Hey, you know what? I, I didn't realize. I'll, I'll just I'll steal my way. i it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll show myself out. Yeah. So Courtney's also taken hostage, taken downstairs and bound. They got court. Yeah. Got him. Yeah. So at that point, um, there's, you know, they go back to packing stuff up. They're almost done. They're getting ready to wrap everything up, put the final, you know, bits of merchandise into the vans. I believe at this time is also the time one of the vans leaves seems like the like one premature no like they like oh, are it packed. Full. They, they're full the they're, they need to go i'm not quite certain on that it was a little shaky of that timeline but it seems like that's about the time that that happened who knows word some time had passed though since you know it, it took a while to load all that stuff up at this point it's been like 45 minutes the store was almost closing anyway and stanley's father is like well he closes the store the same time every day so he's normally home you know i know how long it takes to him to get here if he's gonna go do something i normally hear from him by now so his dad said that he was like well i just had a feeling but also, like, you know, we, like, you and I, like, if I don't come home by a certain time, you haven't heard from me. You're like, eh, it's a little weird. A little weird. I'm going to give it a few minutes. For and sure. See what goes on. He was like, you know, it's 1974. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to wait by my cell phone or like I can, you know. And also, it's 1974. Oh, well, it's a very high possibility that a serial killer has <laughs> yeah. murdered him There's by like now. 50 million of them so, in the uh, United States right now. I should probably go check. Yeah. So he's like, all right, I don't feel comfortable. I don't haven't received anything. His name is um, Oren. 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 O-R-R-E-N. I'm going to assume that's how you say it. Oren. Yep. Okay. He um, is 43, and so he's like, all right, I'm going to go check on my son. I don't live that far from the store. I'll just drive down there and see if maybe he needs help. Maybe there was an uh, issue, you yeah. know. So he drives Maybe to he's s- getting robbed, you know. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Who he knows? got a flat. Maybe. So he arrives at the store a couple minutes later. He enters the store and walks directly into William and Fucking Pierre's shit. path. Could no one see anything going on? I, I mean, I would assume no. not. It's just no. like, ding dong. Oh, hey, up. Uh, 
pretty much fuck it's like one of those things you don't know it until you're in it yeah, yeah. That, that's really shitty yeah so Orin was also taken to the basement bound with the others damn yeah uh you got a gang of them down yeah there so now. you have a, again just to run it back you have stanley who works at the store he's the girl his, no that's the guy no i know i'm saying him, oh stanley the girl michelle the friend with the parking courtney and who's a guy yeah b court he's 16 yeah, B Court, and then Oren, who's the uh, who's Stanley's father. Yeah. So Courtney's mother is the same way as is Oren, Stanley's father, where she's like, "Well, I knew he was going downtown to run errands. He should have been here by now. He normally calls if he's running late. It's kind of you know he's sixteen. But are the mom and the dad both at home when the dad goes to check? So no, this is, he is like- two different parents oh, oh two different parents got you yeah. stanley's dad stanley's Oren, dad and, and then, he's now in the basement yeah. this is courtney's, courtney's mom, mom carol he's like i know she's, he was going there he she's was in going her to 50s get, yeah she knew that he was gonna be there he's gonna be there he was definitely gonna get the hook up on the parking so <laughs> let me go see well she knew that he was gonna be in the area she didn't necessarily knew he was gonna be at the store but she knew he was friends with stanley so We'll go I pee. mean, the yeah. probability is he'd stop there. Definitely. Yeah. So she, again, was also worried. Son hadn't called. He was late. So she, too, drove to the store. She drives past the store, sees his car outside. So she's like, oh. It's a good sign. Yeah. And then, then she's like, well, you know, I still see, like, Stanley's car. And she, like, it's a little weird. So she's like, well, I'm going to get out. So she gets out. She again walks into the shop, just like Oren. Moment in who had like probably 10, 15 minutes before her. Like at this point, it's like. They are really fucking taking their time. Yeah, yeah. The whole. This was not a smash and grab. It's like like two hours. It's two hours. Everybody get comfortable. Take your coats off. Yeah. Just, you know. I guess it would be better to like. You have two vans outside. Well, you're also a small town that's not. And also, if you just like. If you just chill and you just kind of stay open and look like you're just kind of swapping inventory in and out it's like we'll just keep it keep yeah. it easy here keep it chill yeah yeah nobody would like necessarily wouldn't really bat an eye out it's like yeah. oh they're close past hours a couple people there moving shit around it's pretty normal looking yeah so again by this point they have five hostages stanley his father orin b court court b court Dad. his mother carol his mother and then pops i already said that oh. orin stanley stanley his father orin B Court, <laughs> also known as Courtney, his mother Carol, and then Michelle, the the just girl who just started working there a couple weeks before. Stacking. So it's like by happenstance uh, that Oren and Courtney and Carol are there. You know, they're just people who happen to be like, oh, I know somebody who's at this store. Let me go investigate. Yeah. Um, and then again, Michelle just started working there. Stanley's the only one who's been an employee there for like a while. And also, who it would be like the probability of it happening. To. Also, look at it, look at it from like uh, Pierre's like uh, point of view. He's like, shit, someone else is here. Exactly. Fifteen minutes later. It's oh shit. shit, there's another person here, dude. Yeah, it's it's like twenty you minutes know, later. Hey, there's someone else here. Yeah, it'd be like, god damn it. Damn, do we even stop. have any more fucking rope? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, he he came prepared because there's a lot of rope. You start wrapping him up with like. Stereo like, cords, yeah, st- I guess. cords and yeah. shit, AV cables. Yeah. So, once all of these hostages are down there, and you know, it seems like things are gonna—they're escalating. Michelle starts crying hysterically. 
Michelle's the employee. Yeah, and she's pleading loudly for her life. Yeah, she's a young girl. She's set to get married in a couple months. She just started working there. So the rest of them were just down there like, oh, shit. They're down there. They're upset. I can't fucking take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. She she pulls that shit. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, that always works out for the people in the movies that do that. Definitely. So Pierre said he grew annoyed with her noise, with all the noise that she was making. Um, Kind of like a dwarf makes too much noise. Yeah, but like, you know. People with guns put you in a basement. You're going to make pro- some noise. They probably don't want to fucking hear a peep out of you. No. And also, they didn't just kill you. No. This means you've, you've had good luck thus far, yeah, considering. Yeah, that's true. But, um... Go ahead. Yes. Scream. Go she ahead. Piss them screams. off. So, Pierre asks William to go to the van and retrieve a brown paper bag that had been brought with them. Inside the bag was a bottle um, from which Pierre poured a blue liquid into a cup. He then took off the handbounds of Oren, uh, Stanley's father, yeah, and said, I want you to administer the liquid to all of them. I want you to force them to drink it. Oh, fuck. Is it like antifreeze or something? Well, he, when, so Oren is like, I don't even care what's in the cup. I'm not doing it. And Pierre is like, no, you're going to do it. And Oren's like, I'm not going to do it. You can kill me. I don't care. I'm not forcing them to drink whatever the fuck that is. I'm not doing it. So Pierre gets mad, he rebounds, and then he gags and shoves Oren on the floor face down and just basically like, just is like, well, fuck you. You're, he gag? You're, what? Yeah. What? He gags him. He's uh, like. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to hear from you. You're not going to be helpful. If, if you're going to, if you're going to refuse and be stubborn, then I'm going to be a dick to you. Okay. Not more than I am. And he said he didn't care. So. Yeah. There so. We are. Yeah. So Pierre and William then decide. Well, let's just prop up the remaining four, Carol, Courtney, Stanley, and Michelle, um, and sit them in a sitting position, leaving them bound so we can force feed them this liquid. And this is all happening because she started screaming. Like, they were just down there out of the way. Like, well, oh, let's it put seems them like there. that was... Go- that was, was this the plan? To it, kill them? It seemed... Well, later on we find this, yes. It was the plan. This okay. was always the plan. Go ahead. But, yeah, she started screaming, and it probably didn't help. Probably it not. made it worse. Um, so Pierre claimed that the liquid was vodka laced with sleeping pills, but it was blue. Um, so it was clearly not that. It was Drano. Yeah. Just so you know. Immediately upon consuming the liquid, each of the four, Carol, Courtney, Stanley, and Michelle, started developing blisters on their lips. Um, when you drink Drano... Your body's obviously immediate reaction is to regurgitate it. Yeah. So you, all of them are. You can't really like what they were. What they were hoping is that they would swallow it, but like your body wants you to throw it up immediately. Yeah. So they're like trying to feed it to them, and they're throwing it back into the drink that they're drinking. Yeah. So um, the blisters start developing on their lips. They get uh, like you know a burning of their tongues in their throats. Um, the skin around their lips starts peeling back. Fuck. Pierre and William, so they try to force feed the drink and then immediately duct tape it so it stays in their mouth so they can't they can't regurgitate oh, so it. Sh- oh, so it's just swishing around in their mouth because they're, they they yeah. their body won't let them swallow it. Yeah, so it's just like like it's like mouth like washing like, around in there. Yeah, you're, you're just like burning the insides exactly, of your mouth. Pretty oh much. Oh my god! But because of the instant blisters and yeah. the oozing and the the skin peeling back and stuff the duct tape doesn't really doesn't stay. hold yeah so they're 
it's not really helping. All their plans are working. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so the adhesive doesn't work. He doesn't really, and they're screaming at this point because they're all burning their their thrones. And, oh, yeah. my God. So Oren is finally put into a sitting position and given the liquid. But at this point, he's already observed and witnessed the other's reactions and realizes what they've been given. Yeah. So when they pour the drink into his mouth, he just kind of like holds it and like, push it he said he like breathed out so that it would just kind of run out of his mouth so he got what he got was like you know burns of like around his mouth as opposed to like in his mouth yeah yeah yeah. he said then he just faked the convulsions and the screaming of you know what he just witnessed to help kind of intensify to hope that it would yeah like be his survival yeah so he didn't necessarily drink or have as many of the um just external wounds yeah yeah and it was obviously the better thing because that's you know, it didn't like he was able to still speak and he didn't have the internal issues that like the other ones had, um, which was very clever. I don't know if I I mean, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but I don't think I would ever think to like who the fuck knows breathe that's out. A, that's such a screwed up situation. It's, it's like, so who crazy. Who knows? Yeah. So Pierre grew angry with the length of time in the situation that it had turned into. He said it was too messy. Of course, they're again regurgitating all we, over the. They're vomiting well, all over the, the place. You're the one with the genius fucking plan. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Exactly. You're it's giving them poison. Obviously, their body's going to reject I it. I was for sure letting all these people drink Drano was just going to be like, whoo, ship shape, perfect. We'll, we'll get in there. Um. So Pierre's like, all right, fuck this, and he takes the gun, shoots Carol, shoots Courtney in the back of the head. So much less messy. He turns to Oren. He shoots at him, but misses him, but doesn't realize it at first. Like, he's just, like, shooting at this point. You know, he's trying to get it done. So he shoots Carol. He shoots Courtney. He turns to Oren. He shoots at him, misses him, turns to Stanley, shoots him in the back of the head, turns back to Oren. He's still sitting there. He shoots at Oren again, but it just kind of grazes his head. But Oren is smart. Does he have a horseshoe up his ass? Dude, this guy is like Superman. I don't know. Every article was like he was, there was someone on his side that day. Wow. But he falls to the ground and pretends like he's dead. Like he got hit. Because he is a smart man. So it like like hit his like ear side of the face zone. Yeah, pretty much. So at that point, Pierre thinks that everyone's dead but Michelle. Christ. Who's now screaming and of course crying she's fucked up from the drano she's obviously stressed about the situation she just watched four people get shot and she's probably about to she knows what's coming for her so pierre picks her up takes her into the corner of the basement forces her to remove her clothes while holding her at gunpoint and then he tells william go upstairs for about 30 minutes and finish packing all the shit of course, during those 30 minutes, Pierre repeatedly and brutally raped Michelle. Oh, you fucking loser. Exactly. Of course it of had course to get to that. Of course you had to do that. You had to, to take to your time. Couldn't just be the fucking Drano thing. Let me tie these people up and get my shit and do this and that. It's all. Get this young girl and turn. Throw the, oh, yeah. look, a young one. Yeah. Let me do the. You fuck. Yeah, exactly. So when he was done, he allowed Michelle to go to the bathroom, but then he dragged her back over to the other side of the basement where the other bodies were, still naked. He threw her face down on the floor. Michelle screamed, I'm too young to die. She pleaded for her life one more time. Pierre didn't care. He got what he wanted at that point. Um, Shot her in the back of the head. Fucking garbage person. I mean, already, obviously. Obviously. But like... 
You re- that you really had, needed to happen. Yeah, you had to do that. You had to. Why you you just had to pour salt on her wounds. You're gonna shoot them all. Why not just shoot them all? Yeah, you didn't have to torture really got to put her and then the ray. It's so it's trash person. Yeah. So, unfortunately, it gets worse. That's when Pierre noticed that Oren wasn't dead. So he jumps on him like Khabib. Like what Khabib. I read, what I wrote. Um, he jumps on him, just completely, you know, manhandles him, mounts him, just grabs him he gets a wire because of course it's a stereo shop so he just has like you know yeah so he grabs a wire he puts it around Oren's throat and tries to strangle him but this dude is resisting he's like i'm not dying today not dying pierre fails so that's when he yells for william who comes back downstairs then was he out of bullets uh why are you putting these people through this i don't know why are you just shooting some of them but then you, you're, like, completely torturing other ones. I don't know. I assume that's why is that... that well, Orin, I assume he's torturing because he always was stubborn. He was always not wanting to do something. He was resistant. He absolutely um, rebelled against them the entire time. So I think he was just pissed and was like, I'm not yeah. going to give you a clean death. So William comes downstairs, and they decide to take a ballpoint pen and place it in Orin's ear. Uh, yeah. All right. Yikes. It's one sentence. Pierre stomped the pin until it finally broke into Oren's eardrum and then punctured through his throat. Fuck. Yeah. So thinking everyone's finally oh, dead. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Thinking everyone's finally dead. No one's left to identify them or link them to the cl- Please crimes. tell me he's dead. Please fucking tell me he doesn't get up with a pin in his head. Oren lives. Oh, I mean, I'm not bummed that he's like. Yeah, I know it's you, like you know so saying. sad. It's, I just like I, it's I don't just want him to so suffer. painful. I couldn't imagine having a ballpoint pen shoved through my ear. <sighs> yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Back on track. Yeah, I know it's it's a it's horrific. It just gets worse. I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't get any worse than that. But anyway. <laughs> Pierre and William go back upstairs thinking everyone's dead. Nobody can link them. We're good. Let's grab the rest of the shit and go. Yeah, take your time. Yeah. All in all, they ended up with about $24,000 worth of cash and merchandise. And the whole event took less than two hours. So they were there for about two hours loading the shit and then killing everyone and raping Michelle. Four hours later, the victims were found because Oren's wife and other son came looking for Stanley and Oren, you know? Yeah. He goes, he's like, hey, uh, Stanley's not here. I'm going to go look for him. I'm not sure what's going on. You know, I'll be back soon. And then Oren doesn't come home. So his wife's like, uh, this is weird. This is definitely a movie plot. So let's go look for him. So they go to, obviously, to Stanley's work because that seems to be the First place to start, they see all the cars in the parking lot. They see the lights on, but the front door is locked. They can't get in. Yeah. So they're like, well, this is weird. So they start walking around to investigate, and that's when the son, the um, Oren's other son, hears a noise from the basement. He hears, like, somebody yelling oh, or screaming shit. or a, a noise or whatever. So he goes around to the back of the building, and there's a, a door. So he starts trying to break down the door, and his mom's like, I'm going to go find a payphone and call 911. If we can't break down the door, the authorities can. So she runs to the payphone, calls 911. 
while she's doing that, the other son gets the door, he gets broken, uh, the door broken in, and they run in, they find um, Stanley and Michelle dead, but obviously from the gunshot wounds and the horrendous dr- consumption of Drano, Carol, Courtney, and Oren are still alive, though. Fuck. Yeah. Carol lives long enough to be loaded into the rescue vehicle, but she died upon arrival at the hospital. Ugh. So... Again, Stanley, Michelle, and Carol are now dead. Yeah. Courtney was not expected to live. He was shot in the back of the head. He ingested a large amount of Drano. He was the first one to drink it. So they, like, you know, poured more of it down his throat. I mean, it's like, it's activated over time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's sitting in there. Yeah. He survived. He had um, severe and irreparable brain damage. He was required to be hospitalized for 266 days after the incident before he was released and he was never the same afterwards obviously. What kind of life does he live now? Um, well, I'll get to it later. Okay. Yeah. Um, Oren was he also su- survived the attack. He had extensive burns to his stomach and esophagus um, and obviously damaged his eardrum uh, though it was repairable. He it was, he didn't lose hearing in that ear. Wow, that which is, is kind of crazy. Very shocking. I, I'm thinking maybe he lost a percentage of it, but uh, he, I would, yeah, I would yeah. think so. But he was he wasn't um, completely uh, deafened yeah. in that ear. Um, Oren was also able to give authorities a detailed description of the assailants. Damn. Because obviously, when you're being stubborn and being like, "No, I'm not. You can kill me." You're like, "I'm gonna write down every little. I, I'm burning your face in my mind." So yeah. I ever can find you again so he gave the description and that prompted a statewide manhunt all the time unfortunately the statewide manhunt caused a lot of immediate issues and tensions between police forces and citizens because they were pulling over any car any and every car with more than two uh black male black men in it Genius police Which work. Which is not really, like, it's profiling at its worst. <laughs> yeah. Not quite what we asked you yeah, to do. Yeah, not quite. I mean, I get it that, like, you're looking for a, two black male suspects, but, like... Yeah, but you need a little more to, a like, more. To, to, to move forward. Maybe yeah. wait until they're outside the car and they actually look like the fucking person you're looking exactly. for. Exactly. So a lot of men in the area who were obviously innocent felt victimized and profile on their, to the simple basis of having skin color uh, of that. That makes yeah. uh, perfect sense. Yeah, so it wasn't really largely... Um, experienced in that area before that date and so you know it was it was definitely something that they all felt because like before that time it really wasn't an area where you were racially profiled and then after this statewide manhunt starts it's like you know again it's it's definitely like a weird situation it's like one day it's like oh nobody cares that you're black and then the next day it's like why am i getting pulled over yeah oh because you and your friend are black oh because all the because all the white people in your town think that uh, you are going yeah. to murder them. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine that that was until until Pierre and William were caught. I couldn't imagine that that's probably what was put into society. Well, you probably see a lot of other probably see a lot of people's true colors too. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew it all along. Yeah. Thank God I could say it now. Yeah, exactly. Also, um, I'm not sure if I clarified, but all of the victims were white. So you, even though this obviously was not racially motivated at all it was a oh yeah that this had nothing all to those do victims were just a bummer that they happened to be there exactly a lot three of them were coincidence they were even there and the two white victims that were there just happened to be white and work at the store so it's like it wasn't racially 
um, motivate it, but then it kind of got overshadowed overshadowed by this racial situation yeah because of the way that the cops were like we need to find them which is good that they had such a desperate yeah but it's unfortunate the way that worked that exactly exactly so then the news broke that um you know that to the people in the area that there was the robbery and the murder at the hi-fi shop and that's when one of an um an officer at the air force base he called the um, Ogden Police Department and he said, hey, William, this guy that works with me, and he's an Air Forceman, um, he confided me a few months ago that one day he felt, he had said, he was like, well, one day I'm going to rob that shop, the Hi-Fi shop, specifically naming the Hi-Fi shop, and if anyone tries to get in my way, I'm going to kill them. And the guy, the officer who overheard this, obviously was like, well, that's weird, but kind of brushed it off, you know people didn't really speak up about stuff like that then because no one really wants to get involved and it's kind of weird you know just thinking you're just talking type thing okay so he didn't he didn't think it's weird to not pay attention to it i think it is too but we live in a very different time than 1974 you're right that's what you you know we you have to always remember the perspective of the year much 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 different time yes we are from a generation that you know was obsessed with this kind of stuff so you know anyway so this guy finally is like well that was a little weird so let me tell them about that because since the hi-fi shop was robbed and people were killed that kind of sounds like william yeah. maybe i should tell somebody maybe yeah so william also matched the description given by Oren. so the authorities were like eh, well we at least believe we have one identity or one suspect confirmed of who it is like, we think that it's this guy. They're not putting his name out there because, obviously, you don't name somebody that... Not until you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, then a couple hours after that happened, so this is, like, probably eight hours after the actual killings, um, two boys are dumpster diving near Hill Air Force Base. Hill Air Force Base. And they discover the wallets and purses of Carol, Courtney, Oren, Stanley, and Michelle. Damn. Yeah. Recognizing the pictures and the names on the driver's license from the poli- the news report that they had just watched a couple hours earlier, the boys called authorities to report the findings. Um, since the dumpster, so the authorities come out, they rope off the dumpster, they start pulling stuff out of it, you know, looking for more evidence, you know, possibly a gun or something yeah, like anything. that. Anything to tie them. Since the dumpster was within um, sight of the Air Force uh, um barracks a lot of the airmen had come out and like kind of created a crowd around the scene you know just kind of watching the um investigators do what they're doing yeah uh in that crowd was pierre and william you know it would look weird for them not to join their fellow uh you know air airmen at this really weird thing going on yeah i guess so they went over there Authorities were hoping that would happen because, again, at this point, they know there's a connection to the airbase. Yeah. Yeah. So the the detectives who had been assigned to the hi-fi murders were like, hey, we're going to come on scene. We're going to speak dramatically. We're going to hold up each piece of evidence, speak really loudly as we're removing it from the dumpster and just see what happens. Because we think these guys are going to be in the crowd. So they kind of had formated, formulated that plan before they got there. And lo and behold, William and Pierre do exactly what they think they're going to do and show up and they're in the crowd. So 
they the, the authorities are being dramatic and holding up all these pieces and making you know saying all this stuff and they have other officers off to the side watching the crowd mm-hmm. so these officers are making note of the men in the crowd and their demeanor and, and what, what they're, they're doing. doing. They said most of the airmen who had gathered around the dumpster stood still. They watched in relative silence, you know, just kind of seeing what's going on. Two men, however, were pacing back and forth through the crowd. They were speaking loudly to each other. They were using awesome hand gestures. All these awesome <laughs> hand gestures? <laughs> um, and those men were later identified as Pierre and William. Shocking. Yeah, shocking. The, the Of course, they again had Oren's description by this point, so they know these are their guys. They're Hell just yeah. waiting to get confirmation at this point. So based on the reactions, the description, Pierre and William are taken into custody right then and there because they're like, we think these guys are up on something. You guys can keep pacing. Just pace towards this police car. Yeah. So then they immediately get a search warrant issued for the barracks uh, for William and, and um uh, Pierre's barracks and they found flyers for the hi-fi shops that show the hours um, they found a rental contract for a unit at a public storage facility nearby um, that had recently been rented Trying to find some pieces. Yeah, so then they obtain a warrant for the storage unit where they discover several pieces of stereo equipment later identified by serial numbers as being inventory from the hi-fi shop um, they also find a half empty body of Drano oh Wow. So that gives authorities more than enough information and evidence to formally charge Pierre and William with the crimes. They charge them with first degree murder and aggravated armed robbery. And then they eventually charge Keith uh, with armed robbery as well. Again, he just sat in the car the whole time, but he was part of the robbery. Yeah. Um, they knew he was friends with them. Witnesses were able to place keith on the scene so he got charged the other three men not enough evidence to connect them not enough evidence to um get anything on them and these three weren't connecting them to the scene so they weren't charged which three of those again the unnamed men that's why they're unnamed the one that sat in the the van yeah and uh, again eventually they packed up all the stuff and then drove off earlier than earlier the other three i got you yeah so pierre william and keith had a joint trial which is kind of interesting i guess it makes sense because it's all the same crime yeah uh it began on october 15th 1974 so just a couple months after this happened um and it closed and they were all convicted on all charges brought against them on november 16th 1974 so less than a month or what a whole month quick of a trial yeah and they were convicted um during the trial it was revealed that pierre and william had robbed the store due to the amount of merchandise that they knew was there they knew that they could get some money out of it um they also said that you know it was a cover-up to allow them to act out their intention to kill anyone that they wanted to basically like they went to the store with the intention to kill um based on you know again what william had said earlier that was what they wanted they wanted to kill somebody it was just an added bonus to rob the place yeah i i think Um, They tried to plan a quick and easy and quiet way of carrying out the murders, and they decided on the Drano method after watching the film Magnum Force. Have you ever seen that? I know what it is. I've I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. Uh, There's a scene in Magnum Force where a prostitute is forced to drink Drano and immediately drops dead with no fuss or mess. Well, it worked in the movie, goddammit. Mm -hmm. What is this gurgling 
backwash bullshit. It's crazy. What is happening? What is Duct tape's not working? Son of a bitch. She didn't even have marks on her face. Crazy. Yeah. So Genius plan. that's why they decided to go with the Drano, but they took the guns along as backup in case, you know, one, to intimidate for the robbery, but two, in case things go awry, they have the guns. I always have a gun when I use Drano on our drain, too, in case the Drano doesn't work. Yeah. Time. Yeah. And then I could just shoot the shower. Mm hmm. So it was determined that William was the brains behind the operation of this um, attack and that Pierre was the enforcer. William didn't actually shoot anyone, so he never technically killed anyone, but he did... Uh, Compost. Yeah, and he administered the Drano, so he got charged just as much as Pierre. And again, the plan seemed to be his brainchild, so he also was charged with first degree... Uh, murder, even though technically he did not kill anyone. Why didn't they just blame the whole thing on them watching that movie and p- blame it on pop culture? Um, because in the 70s, they hadn't quite worked out that defense Oh, they, yet. Hadn't, they hadn't figured that one out it yet. It was like the 90s that started oh, working. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. So Oren was obviously the star witness of the prosecution. He was the one that um, was able to recall all of what happened in the basement. He um, was able to give, you know, he's the one that gave the description. He's the one that um, pieced together pretty much everything that the cops couldn't. So he was the one that got up there and just, you know, closed that case for them. Courtney's father testified on Courtney's behalf because Courtney had developed amnesia from the attack. Damn. And he couldn't testify. Yeah. So, his father basically just testified as to what he knew of that day and what, um, you know, Courtney could recall. Yeah. Yeah. And what, you know, what he knew he was doing that day. Pretty much. So unfortunately, Courtney was not the best, um, the best person. He's not the only fucking one there. Exactly. And, and that's fortunate that it's unfortunate that Oren had to go through what he did and live through that bullshit attack. But it, it's insane that he recalled so much of it. Definitely. Yeah. But again, Courtney was shot in the head. Um, whereas Oren got grazed by a bullet. Yeah. So Pierre and William were convicted first degree murder three times over because um, it killed three people. And they were also charged on aggravated armed robbery. Keith was convicted on only armed robbery and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. The other men, of course, weren't even convicted. Pierre and William were sentenced to death. Good. You hoes. Yeah. Immediately, though. I bet that annoyed the shit out of Pierre. It did. I want to do that. I want to die. Him and William, and also the NAACP, um, demanded that their sentences be reduced to life with the possibility of parole because they claimed that William and Pierre had been treated unfairly because they were black and all the victims and the jury happened to be white. No, garbage. So they again, got trying to play that racial racial thing. They got treated fairly because yeah. they robbed a store and made kids drink Drano. Yeah. William, so fuck them. William said, um, he said that he accused all of the judicial system of being racist. And in an interview with the USA Today, uh, he did an interview with USA Today and he said that he never intended to kill anyone. But later detectives were like, hey... Yeah, USA Today. You remember when William said he never intended to kill anyone? Let's back up to the fact that he's the one that purchased the Drano, and he's the one that brought it along that day. Pierre didn't ask him to do that at all. That was all William's plan. Yeah. So Pierre and William became, not only were they hated among, obviously, everyone in the world at this point. Also giving the 
um, military base a bad name. Yes. It's like, oh, so you just think that we get people in from all over the place and they come to our little town and fuck around like this. Yeah. So not only that, also other, you know, other innocent black men in the area were pissed because they're getting profiled. profiled and it's also got... There's now a racial tension in an area that there's never been a racial tension solely because they're like, we were racially profi- profiled. And it's like, you did it. You did it. You can't claim that. You killed people. So not only all of that, when they got into jail, the prisoners in the system hated them, including all the black prisoners, because they're like, you're making us look bad. Good. Yeah. So they're hated by everyone, specifically the people on death row with them. Good. There's another guy, which we'll cover one other day. His name was Gary Gilmore. He hated Pierre and William so much that when he was being marched to his, you know, to his death sentence, he's walking out. And his last words to everyone on death row is, hey, uh, Pierre, William, I'll see you in hell. I'll be there at the door waiting. Like he hated them so much that he's like, I'll fuck you up when you get to hell. <laughs> like, well, which is quite strong words as you're walking out to get killed. You know, I wonder um, how Pierre and his little grumpy, angry, I can't be bothered. Mine did and on death row. Yeah, not very well. No, well, I mean, the whole time he tried to appeal and appeal and appeal and appeal and appeal. Saying what? That he was the, the, the racist. Yep. Yeah, I gave him Drano. Yeah, I robbed him, but th- but yeah, shot him in the head. Racist. Yeah, yeah, I put a pin in someone's ear and stomped it. Yeah, yeah. So despite all of that bullshit with trying to pretend that there was a racial issue in this in the judicial system, trying to get their sentences reduced, Pierre and William, the co- the courts were like, no, you're still on the death penalty track. We'll keep you on that. Courts continued to uphold the uphold the 1974 ruling. They lost appeal after appeal. Obviously. Yeah. And on August 28th, 1987, Pierre was finally called to death for his crimes. He was 34. He was the first man in Utah to be executed by lethal injection. He bequeathed all of his possessions and money to William before he died. You know how much money he had? How much? $29. Sick. That same year, Keith... William rolling like a peon. Like a peon. That same year, Keith, the one who had just drove the van... Yeah. He was paroled after 13 years of prison. Damn. He went to live with relatives in Chandler, uh, Oklahoma, and as far as I could find, he either changed his name and may have committed a crime under that name, or he just never committed anything else. Okay. Just lived kind of a quiet life after that. Um, so, Pierre... Dies, 1987. First guy in Utah to be killed by lethal injection. 1992, on July 30th, William's finally put to death. He's 37, again by lethal injection. So they are both out the door. Good. Keith is, again, released, but seems to be like, I'm not going to do anything like that again. I'm very sorry. Just don't feel like it. Don't need to do that. Courtney, again, shot in the back of the head. He was the one that suffered amnesia. He was in the hospital for 200 and some days after the incident. He suffered chronic pain the rest of his life. He had to drop out of college due to having brain damage. He couldn't hold down a job. Uh Had to apply for Social Security as a very young man and ended up dying at the age of 44 in 2002. Poor guy. I guess, you know, that was just God's plan for him, you know? Yeah, unfortunately. To go through all that, you know? Yeah. God built just had a perfect plan for him. Yeah. Oren, a sweet guy. Yeah. Oren, Stanley's father, the other survivor, 
Um, he died two years before Courtney in 2000. He was obviously an old man by that point. Yeah. So he just died of natural causes. Um, the high fine murders are still among the worst crimes committed in the state of Utah. And the case is now studied and taught to FBI trainees at the Academy at Quantico in Virginia. And it's also included as a sample case in the FBI crime classification manual because it's like, I mean, it's, it's a huge case study yeah. of a lot going on. there. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot going on. They, they, one, they quickly resolved it. I mean, these men could have been... Yeah, they wrapped on, that shit yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it also, obviously, the racial situation that came about was something that was studied and like, hey, we don't... We need to... And it cha- it's you don't racially that, profile. Yeah, it's, and it's <laughs> one case that changed the tone in the town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's heavily studied um, among FBI and, and uh, authorities. Um, the investigator who came up with the crowd plan that night... You know, the one that was like, yeah, let's talk really loudly and kind of make a scene. He was given an award for his work on this case. Um, So he, you know, again, a lot of interesting. It's a horrific thing that happened. But it did, like you said, it changed the tone of a lot of things, including how um, FBI and authorities are supposed to look at things and supposed to uh, search for people, which is we just don't say like, hey, you're black. I'm pulling you over. So... Courtney Nesbitt's recovery became the basis for a book by Gary Kinder called The Victim, The Other Side of Murder. I've never read it. Um, I probably will, though, at some point. It's a pioneer book of some sorts in the true crime genre in the aspect of it focuses solely on the victims instead of the criminals. Obviously, most stories are about the you. Well, you want to hear about the wacko's mind and shit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, when someone is killed by someone like this, in this horrific of a way it's very sad for the victims and you know you want to know who they are but it's also like what for me again it's what what made this person decide to kill someone in such a bizarre way in such a weird yeah exactly so gary kinder was like well i don't want to focus on that i want to focus on the victims and that kind of was something that um that other people have done uh since then but this was kind of a uh, first of its kind when it came out um, so anyway, maybe check that book out it, again. It's called victim. The other side of murder by Gary kind. It's more about Courtney Nesbitt and his recovery after the incident. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so two last things, uh, the high fi shop is no longer a store in Ogden. Um, in fact, the building doesn't even exist anymore. Oh, I looked it up all the way gone. Yeah. It looks like they kind of knocked down all the buildings on that, that area and built it back up. It looks like it's like an apartment complex or like a commercial complex like where it did stand. Yeah. Yeah. So they basically everything on that block is one building now where it all used to be separate buildings. Final thing again, kind of has nothing to do with the story. It's all about Ogden. Um, so not really a tie-in to what happened here with the Hi-Fi murders. But if you look up pictures, the city may look familiar to you. It's um, the place where several movie and TV uh, um, shows have been shot. Uh, namely, most namely for us at least, Drive Me Crazy, Con Air, Fletch, and The Sandlot. Damn. Yeah. So, um, just a little tidbit at the end there of the movies that have been filmed there. There was a whole list, but those were the ones that I was like, oh my God. Okay. So, going back. Yes. Those, those things happen. What uh-huh. about the, the guy with the keys? 
again, it's technically an unsolved because yeah, okay, Pierre okay, okay, okay. never. But when did that happen in accordance to the. A year before. It, that happened Not even a, year a whole before. year before. So that happened. It's like eight months. That happened. So he joined the Air Force in May of 1973. In yep. October 1973, Edward is killed. The, Edward the is killed. The guy with the keys. Yeah. And then how much in longer? April 1974, okay. the high five. The high five. Okay, got it. So not even a year of being in the Air Force. So we're pretty sure he killed that dude. And then it was just he's like... Never, he's never fully admitted to it, but it's... it's Pretty fucking sure. It's based... Yeah. Seems I mean, like it. it had to have been him. And he killed someone else. So it's like... <gasps> Oh yeah. So you could do that because yeah. you did do that. So though the the um, though it's never it's never been officially assigned or he's not been convicted of it. It's basically though it is an unsolved. It's pointed at Pierre. That's Murdoch's stance on it. Yeah, Pierre killed Edward, N- not the vampire. What an asshole. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's a high five, murders. <sighs> oh, that was a pretty good one. Thanks. Yepers. Yeah, it's it's I. I had heard of it. Obviously, it's a big it's a big case. It's quite crazy the the, the stuff that they put them through. I didn't realize it happened in Ogden, where um, you know some yeah. of our friends are from. Um, and when I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do," I just decided to do a case that I knew I hadn't really heard a lot of, uh, and that's what I went for. And then I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, I'm actually familiar with that town because our friends live there." It's gonna be and crazy then, for people to listen to this one because. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it probably isn't that well known. No, uh, and it's. I mean, a, it is, but it isn't. But it's a crazy one. Yeah, yeah. And then when I found out about Edward's murder, I was like, "Well, you can contribute multiple murders to this guy. Imagine what would have happened if, if, um, if Oren would not have lived." Yeah, he would have been a fucking and serial killer. Yeah, he wouldn't have been able sure. to give that description. Um, damn, damn. What was I gonna say? Sorry. No, it's okay. It was just something in closing, but. Yeah. yeah. So again, um, I I looked up pictures of uh, I looked up pictures of of those movies. Did pictures of the of the store, like when the store of was the, open. The high, like the, yeah, there's the some. There's some from the um, from the, like the newspapers and stuff. Okay. And, yeah, you, and like some old pictures. Like. Yeah. Yeah. You can see it. It's, cool. If you look it up, it's twenty three twenty three Washington it just Boulevard. Sounds like it's a cool store too, yeah. like a electronics. It's a, it was a home audio, uh, yeah, basically a home Story, stereo uh, electronic place. In the early 70s? Yeah. It's yeah. like a Radio Shack, I assume, before. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. Um, there like is where Don s- Cheadle works in uh, Boogie Nights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You yeah. hear that bass? I hear the bass. Um, there is a hi-fi shop in Utah, if you look it up. I'm not sure if it's still in, if it's in Ogden or not, but it's like a... Um, like a car detailed place, so that's not the right place. <laughs> Got so it. So look up hi-fi stereo shop if you want to see maybe throw the word murder in there yeah or ogden utah there you go yeah so um but yeah so that's it the tale of the hi-fi murder sweet yeah all right well uh we gotta go eat some spaghetti now yeah um, always talking about food at the end that's cool yeah. we like to podcast and we, we like, like to eat, eat so <laughs> suck it <laughs> suck it and you suck it oh uh, again throne thugs is up yeah if you like got listen to that shit yeah. if you like murder up and you like GOT? Oh, we love you. We got you all <laughs> fucked up in here. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, thanks uh, for everyone. Oh, and also, we realize that a lot more people watch GOT than enjoy listening to murder stories. So That's true. If you like it, please pass it along. We get that you don't want to pass along uh, your favorite murder story yeah. podcast to your normal friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I've spent my entire life being like... Um, how can I work 
this murder story into this conversation without <laughs> being weird. So. Yeah, so, but now we would very much appreciate your help telling somebody, all, all your normal friends about this very normal podcast yeah. about this awesome show. So yeah. if you like it, spread the word. And again, we appreciate the shit out of everybody for the uh, murder up shout outs. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And you've uh, you've made 30 episodes really fun. So, Woo! Yeah. 30, baby, yeah. we're getting up there. Yes, we are. High five. High five. Alrighty. All right. Spaghetti bound. Spaghetti. We'll, uh, spaghetti, spaghetti. <laughs> we'll see you guys at the next one. Have, oh, have a great Monday. Yeah. And, uh, have a great week. Yeah. And I hope you have all your Christmas shopping done. And if you don't by now, you are blowing it. Yeah, that's true. So do it now. Cause by this time next, the next episode, we will be in Christmas. So it'll be too late. It'll be like, it'll be Christmas Eve. Oh, it will be. Yeah. We'll release it on That'll Christmas be like Eve. The Christmas. Yeah. So you got a Christmas murder story. I do. Potentially. Oh, you do. I do. Hell yeah. I do. All right. Well, I hope you like this one and you can look forward to Holly's Christmas episode. Yeah. All, All right. right. Peace out. Bye. Bye.